Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom Stewart, CFO of SecureAuth Corporation, and you're listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is Episode 242. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Dell Clark, CFO of supply chain professional services firm Inspirage. And then on the uh, system side, we um, moved from uh, a legacy accounting system into an ERP, uh, which was a very significant move. We have operations in nine different countries. There's a lot of different tax rules we have to live with, lots of exchange issues we have to adjust to, more compliance issues, more tax issues, more uh, labor law to deal with. So moving from our legacy system, uh, which was, to be honest, QuickBooks, uh, into a full-fledged integrated uh, ERP system was pretty critical. It allowed us to institute controls where we didn't have them and to change controls that had been in place and were ineffective. So uh, it's been a pretty busy year and a half, uh, and we're not done yet. There's lots more to do. Listen to our complete interview with Dell after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking to Dell Clark, CFO of Inspirage. Now, Dell has had several uh, tours of duty as a CFO, COO, several positions with different companies ranging in size from $25 million to $500 million. He's also a former Tatum partner. Dell, welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Dell, we always like to uh, begin by asking you what you saw as those key milestones, career milestones, that prepared you for a CFO role. What would those have been? <laughs> well, the very first one is... Um, when I when I turned 18, I, like a lot of people that live on the West Coast, went to Alaska to make my fortune. And um, I ended up as a commercial fisherman. And at the age of 18, 19, and 20, I, I made more money than an 18, 19, or 20-year-old should, which funded some very delightful uh, winters spent skiing in Colorado. Uh, but when I was 20, uh, I was... Uh, Fishing salmon, uh, the boats I fished on fished for either salmon or, or halibut, um, and I went overboard. Um, I was in the water for about a minute, uh, not very long. I was never really in any danger. Um, I caught my hand on a rope, came back up on, was back up on the deck before any of us really knew what happened. 
But at that point, I realized that going to college maybe wasn't such a bad idea after all. So um, then I decided that I should probably pursue some sort of a, a degree. Uh, I went into business and from there uh, ended up working at, um, at Arthur Young, uh, which really dates me. For those of you that think it's Ernst & Young, it started out as Arthur Young. And um, that was my first foray into accounting, finance, uh, and uh, dealing with cash flow statements. Um, from there, uh, I had the opportunity to, to be a part of a, an M&A group there, uh, and that was really my launch into the finance world. Let me ask about leadership now. Where did you begin to get the skills to become a leader? I think that the, those skills um, began uh, actually when I, I was on uh, those boats because most anyone that stepped onto the deck of the boat um, didn't realize uh, how many skills they were coming um, onto that boat with. And I see that same thing in uh, the finance teams that I've managed over the years. The vast majority of people get very comfortable doing one thing and don't realize that they can branch out beyond that and be very effective in other things. I think that's uh, where I got my my leadership style from, is a desire to help people do more uh, than they think they can do and in the process help the company to accomplish more than it originally set out to to accomplish. Tell us about your experience at Tatum and how it might have uh, modified your view of the CFO role. Well, my time at Tatum uh, was really focused on um, firefighting. Uh, people don't call Tatum because everything is running smoothly. They call Tatum because uh, something is uh, seriously wrong and substantial change needs to happen quickly. And in, in that role, um, clearly uh, finance is not just about getting the the financial statements out or making sure that um, you filed all the tax returns properly. Uh, in that role, it's really about making sure that the company has the resources it needs, um, both in terms of time, uh, which uh, sometimes you can buy time with um, more capital or you can buy time with human capital, um, but um, that you have the time, uh, the financial resources, um, and the market opportunity uh, to accomplish whatever the objectives of the company are. So at my uh, role at Tatum, um, my uh, experience at Tatum, was um, to parachute into situations where there was a significant amount of change that was needed uh, in a hurry. And to accomplish that change, all the all portions of the company need to be involved. Uh, finance can't operate in a vacuum. When you make a change in something as simple as how invoices are transmitted to, to clients, it has an impact on the marketing. It has an impact on the salesman who deals with that client. It has an impact on the individuals that are actually delivering the product um, or service to that client. So there is nothing that is, is happening in the finance department that is truly 
isolated from the rest of the company. It's all going to be interconnected. And in fact, if there is something that the finance department is doing which isn't interrelated to the rest of the company, I would strongly ask the question of do they need to do it? Does it need to be one of the functions that finance is doing? So that is probably the biggest thing I saw in my time at Tatum. Uh, The other thing I saw in my time at Tatum, uh, just because I was in um, so many different companies, I think over the the 13 years I was at Tatum, I had the opportunity to be CFO at eight different companies, um, is the number of of creative ways people created or or made to avoid um, focusing on uh, cash flow and uh, focusing on being able to uh, generate income for the company. Uh, can, can you give us an example? What are you, what are you getting at there? <laughs> um, one that I can, uh, I can uh, point at is uh, uh, in a particular professional services company I was involved with, um, there was a huge amount of focus on utilization. Uh, everybody focused on utilization. It was measured on a weekly basis. And uh, on, a, on a monthly basis, managers were held to account for their utilization. And yet nobody ever asked the question, what is the realization? So we have these people that are, are billing time to clients, and they are achieving a very high percentage of their time billed to clients. But how much of that time are we collecting for? Or are we just billing a lot of time to keep our utilization up um, and not actually gener- generating revenue from that time. Okay, interesting. You're touching on a, a big concern clearly inside the professional services realm and one where finance cannot afford to be isolated. Now let's uh, fast forward. You arrive at Inspirage. What is the finance role you want to create here? When I arrived at, at Inspirage, the company had a very solid stable of clients, uh, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 clients with long-term relationships, uh, very predictable levels of business with them, and uh, a very, very solid delivery team. And Inspirage is a professional services firm. Uh, they do provide supply chain consulting. Uh, to, um, as I said, these Fortune 100, Fortune 50 clients, uh, and really high expertise in that area. And yet, the infrastructure, the back office of Inspirage, um, had not grown as rapidly as the rest of the company had. And that lack of infrastructure was hindering the growth of the company. And my objective, uh, my goal, is to strengthen that infrastructure so that not only are we not hindering the growth, but that we're facilitating the growth of the company, facilitating the ability to expand into other markets, uh, facilitating the ability to expand into a broader client base to move to the Fortune 500 and the Fortune 1000. So um, I see my role as um, being a, a service to the rest of the company um, so that they don't run into uh, those day-to-day roadblocks of uh, why aren't the invoices sent out yet? Uh, how do we 
uh, accurately uh, provide a proposal for this job? Um, how do we make sure that we have uh, sufficient cash flow to uh, fund a particular long-term project? Uh, all of those are the types of questions that uh, I address. Now, is there a, uh, did you make a, a key hire upon your arrival or did you reorganize finance in some way? Now, you've been there, it looks like early 2015 you arrived there. So, Well, we've done a number of things. One of the, the critical ones is we've put in place some metrics for the uh, whole company to measure itself by uh, and metrics at the business unit and manager level so that um, Rather than running the business on intuition, uh, and it was run extremely successfully on intuition for a long time, but you do reach a scale where intuition needs to be backed up by some facts and some hard numbers. So we put in some metrics, a variety of metrics at different levels in the company. Um, for example, uh, we started tracking um, both utilization and realization. I mentioned those earlier. Uh, and the professional services world does need to be looked at um, in tandem. Uh, we also began to look at very closely on how long does it take us to convert an hour of effort into cash, meaning when do we actually receive the payment uh, for the services that we've provided. So we started watching those types of metrics. Now, on the sales side, we set out some specific goals and started uh, um, tracking against those uh, those goals. On the operation side, we looked at what's our turnover. How do we minimize that turnover? turnover? Uh, also, our recruiting, uh, what's the target uh, to do for recruiting, and how are we doing against our target? The other areas are things like on the legal side, uh, we had lots of uh, contracts with companies that we had signed because uh, Inspirage started off as a smaller company and we took what we could get. But we've reached a point where now we really need to carefully look at the risk we're assuming when we take on a client. And we put in the infrastructure to make sure that we would be able to do that. And then on the, uh, the system side, we um, moved from uh, a legacy accounting system into an ERP, uh, which was a very significant move. We have operations in nine different countries. We have clients in uh, 16 to 18 different countries. There's a lot of different tax rules we have to live with, lots of exchange issues we have to adjust to. And uh, in North America, uh, we're active in all but one of the states and in half of the territories in Canada. Um, so, again, more compliance issues, more tax issues, more uh, labor law to deal with. So... Moving from our legacy system, uh, which was, to be honest, QuickBooks, uh, into a full-fledged integrated uh, ERP system was pretty critical. It allowed us to institute controls where we didn't have them and to change controls that had been in place and were ineffective. So 
uh, it's been a pretty busy year and a half, uh, and we're not done yet. There's lots more to do. But, yes, uh, there were key hires that happened. Uh, I had to bring someone in who could head up uh, contracts administration and the legal side of it. Uh, we beefed up uh, basic accounting staff, and we beefed up some finance staff. Can you take us back to that? Uh, that's an interesting coming of age from QuickBooks to uh, an ERP uh, system. Some of your decision-making there at the time, um, was it immediately apparent to you that this would be one of the primary items to address uh, as you arrive? And can you share with us what you know now? <laughs> I always like this question. Is there something you wish you could have told yourself at the start of the process? Well, I can't say that there was anything that I wish I'd told myself at the start of the process. As I looked at it, and I have been through a number of uh, system implementations over the years, I knew uh, from experience that no matter how much we planned, uh, we wouldn't plan enough. And no matter how well we thought we had figured out what the the data translation would be or the process improvements would be that um, there would be unexpected things that would come up. All of those things have held true. Uh, we didn't plan enough. There have been unexpected things. But the benefits are definitely worth moving forward. We ran the business to a large extent, not on QuickBooks, but on Excel. QuickBooks was a general ledger that was used, uh, and uh, most of the business was run in Excel. And Excel is a very wonderful tool. It is kind of like the mold that penicillin, penicillin is made out of. Penicillin is a wonderful antibiotic, and it was originally uh, developed out of a mold that was discovered. Excel is a wonderful tool. But like mold, if it goes uncontrolled, it just becomes slimy. And we had so many spreadsheets, so many Excel-based um, databases that were trying to talk to each other or not talking to each other that clearly I knew we needed to have something that would create an integrated environment where the data would reconcile to itself, that it would talk to itself so that once one, something happened in one part of the business, uh, another part of the business would know about that and that that would get communicated. So the challenge that uh, that I had going into it was how quickly can we do that transition? Because clearly, uh, although uh, the business was continuing to operate profitably, it was definitely uh, straining to try and uh, make everything run smoothly because information just didn't flow properly or it didn't flow at all. Okay, you seem pretty confident today that this adoption of an ERP system was successful. What criteria do you use to uh, to say, yes, this was a success? Well, some of that criteria is pretty basic. Uh, are you able to uh, send bills to customers and collect money from them? And uh, that's my number one uh, criteria. Uh, can we... Uh, bill our customers and collect from them because if we can't do that, we're not going to be in business. The second thing is, uh, 
are we able to do it with less effort than we were doing it before? And yes, we are. That is not to say that there have not been headaches in the, in the transition from the legacy systems to this new integrated world, uh, but it certainly takes us much less time. The other thing which uh, was a big uh, question mark for me is how much would it help us in regards to uh, uh, doing tax compliance in all the different uh, uh, localities that were involved. Uh, I've got uh, state and local taxes to deal with. I have federal taxes. I have international taxes. Uh, there's certainly an inter interrelationship between uh, all of those. So uh, a key criteria was, is it going to make it easier for us to do all of that compliance and will it help us to identify opportunities to uh, reduce our liabilities? Um, and the answer to that so far is that, yes, it is much easier now to do compliance. Uh, I, I am much more confident in the accuracy of our compliance. Um, the second half of the question is, will it help us to identify opportunities to reduce our liabilities? I think that's an open question. Uh, we haven't uh, been far enough down the road with this new system to know if it's going to help us do that or not. So the selection process that prefaced the adoption of the new software, what was your criteria or uh, the capability that allowed you to go forward with one software over another? Well, the, the primary criteria was did they have uh, applications or modules uh, that fit our business, meaning professional services, and could the ERP provide us um, additional tools uh, in the area of professional services, specifically in the area of project management uh, and client management, uh, and that was probably the number one thing that uh, we were looking for in a system. The second thing which I was looking for, and this was probably more driven by me than the rest of the organization, but uh, it was clear that we were going to move to a cloud-based system. Uh, I saw no uh, advantage in trying to build our own um, power plant in our garage rather than plugging into the, the grid. So clearly we were going to move to a cloud-based system, uh, which would also facilitate uh, our remote offices. Um, but I wanted to make sure that that system was secure. Uh, security is at the forefront, I think, of pretty much all senior execs' minds these days. Um, every time we turn around, somebody you would have thought uh, should have had everything in place is suffering from a significant breach or um, or hack. Uh, so uh, I was very concerned that we have a system that had a really high level of security, uh, particularly at the database level. Uh, and the system that we chose uh, has, uh, I think, the highest level of of security that even the vendor can't get into it if um, if, some, if we lose our passwords, we're out of luck uh, because there aren't any backdoors into the system. Uh, and uh, I, that just was very important to me, that there was that level of security on the system. 
I don't usually ask this question. I'm going to ask you if you you'd let us know who the uh, the vendor was, um, and only because I've spent so much time on this, but I really appreciate the level of detail you've given us here about it. Would you share us? Uh, who'd you go with? Um, we went with the Oracle um, Cloud Solution. Oracle. Did you use a, uh, a your professional service firm? Did you use a professional service firm, a consultant, to help you deploy? I would imagine. Um, actually, we have done um, our deployment ourselves. Uh, a lot of our um, staff, a big part of our business, is uh, doing work with Oracle applications. So we were pretty confident that we could uh, do it ourselves, and we have. Uh, self-implemented. Um, I have in the past uh, uh, been involved both as a uh, an implementation consultant. I did a lot of that when I was at Deloitte, um, uh, and I've used implementation consultants. Uh, I think that if you go into this type of an effort, well, I just can't imagine somebody would go into this kind of an effort without using someone that has the knowledge of of how to do this kind of an implementation. I mean, you, you just, uh, it would be right. like uh, building a house and having somebody deliver you a truckload of two-by-fours if you've never run a, a skill saw. I just It's pretty rare that this this type of talent's in-house, though. I imagine uh, would, would Inspirage be pretty pretty rare, in your opinion, or not necessarily? Um, actually, I do think it's very rare. Uh, it was a very unique in, circumstance that uh, we had the, the talent in-house to do it. And um, and that talent uh, will get redeployed someplace else uh, uh, very quickly. So, um, yes, it's, it's, in demand. It's, it's very, very rare. I was, I was hesitant going into it as to whether or not we really um, did have the expertise, but as we sat down and, and started doing our planning, um, I became confident that we did have the right expertise in-house. Dale, thank you for letting us take a deep dive with you on your thinking related uh, to the software. Um, I do want to ask you uh, about Inspirage. We do want to learn a little more about uh, the services it offers today. What would you tell us uh, about the competitive landscape out there for its products and services today? Well, Inspirage uh, holds an interesting uh, place in the supply chain consulting world. There are a couple of 800-pound gorillas in the market uh, who are probably eight or nine times larger than we are. And then there's Inspirage. Um, and then below us, uh, there are dozens of small boutique firms who are probably seven to eight times smaller than us. So we have this kind of unique position sort of in the middle of the market. And uh, it is facilitated by the fact that our our advantage uh, in the market is that we have literally the experts, uh, the subject matter experts in the supply chain space. We don't have uh, lots of uh, first and second year MBA graduates who are learning the business and who are doing the, the footwork. Uh, we have the guys that actually know how to execute things. Now, that does leave us with some interesting challenges because uh, our people all have 
anywhere from 10 to 20 years of experience in the supply chain world. And um, as we grow, it has become harder and harder to recruit because our um, our people are experts and there are a limited number of them in the world and it takes years to build one. Now, one of the things that we really do focus on and which is a real concern for me uh, in the, the finance and administration area is how do we make sure that we um, maintain our, our turnover? Um, we have a very, very, very good uh, turnover ratio. Um, our turnover is less than 5% a year. Uh, and in the consulting world, that's almost unheard of. But it's critically important to us to keep it at that level uh, because it is so hard to recruit the right kind of people. Uh, and recruiting is probably the limiting factor on our growth as a company. Uh, we seem to be able to find plenty of business when we have people available. Uh, we have uh, a very, very high utilization of our people. Um, the question is, how do we get more people who are uh, of the proper level of qualification? But having said that, uh, we seem to be succeeding quite well in the marketplace. As I say, a majority of our our clients are in that uh, Fortune 100 neighborhood. Uh, they are global clients. Uh, we do travel with them globally uh, in that if they decide to open up a new operation in Malaysia or uh, someplace in Europe, uh, we are helping facilitate that. Uh, even though the core of our business uh, is in North America. What is it that you think Inspirage has right in light of its attrition being as low as it is? Well, I think probably the largest thing is that we recognize that our employees, our staff, are our most valuable asset, and therefore we share a higher percentage of our income with the employees than our competitors do. Um, we we do pay a little bit above market. Uh, we do offer a very rich um, benefit package. Uh, we do encourage employees to continue to pursue their education. Um, we have, uh, for example, uh, an open time off policy, meaning that uh, we don't have a set number of weeks of vacation you get each year. If you're getting your work done, you're meeting your personal metrics, and you decide you want to go on a three-week vacation, then you go on a three-week vacation. If you decide that you want to go on another one six months later, then you go on another one six months later. Um, those sorts of things, I think, are what contribute to the fact that we have such low turnover. Um, I don't really ever want an employee thinking about whether or not they're going to take Friday afternoon off to go watch their kid's soccer game. Um, if, you know, they, prior to that, put in a 55-hour work week, I mean, that's silly. So we want them to know that they're valued. Um, that we consider them to be professionals and adults. Uh, we don't need to watch over their shoulder. Uh, we need for them to uh, be the professionals uh, that joined us. And um, 
to deliver value to our customers, and so they'll deliver value to the company, and the company will share that value with them. We are quickly going to move to our mentoring roundel where we've been waiting to ask you, what's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Uh, what I am excited about is my current team. I have a really interesting team. I am excited to see them continue to grow. They are developing. Uh, as I said earlier, they're learning that they can do more than they thought they could do. And to me, it's rewarding to see them um be excited about that, uh, be enthusiastic about their jobs, and looking to see how they can expand them. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Well, I guess it would have helped if they told me I was starting a CFO career because I didn't know I was starting a CFO career. It just sort of evolved and happened. But probably the number one thing, which I would say to someone now, if they're beginning a, a a career that they hope ends up at at the um, the level of CFO, is that it's not about financial statements and it's not about tax returns. It's about people and about making sure people have the resources they need to accomplish whatever their objectives are. What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? I wake up really early in the morning, uh, and I mean that seriously. I just, and that happens to be a uh, a biological uh, trait that I have. But I wake up early in the morning. It gives me a long day to get things done, and that You're before first, five a.m. Um, that yes, the four thirty kind of neighborhood. And that first couple of hours of the day before I start answering questions and answering phone calls um, are oftentimes uh, the most productive because they allow me to set my priorities and uh, determine what I'm going to spend my time on during the day. The other little thing that I do, uh, and this is just a personal habit, and I don't know that it's worth um, much to anyone, but I make myself a to-do list every Friday afternoon. And that to-do list is for the next week. It takes me 10 or 15 minutes to make my list. Uh, and when I make that list, I look at my to-do list from the prior week and see, did I do these things? Uh, which ones did I uh, specifically address and which ones got pushed aside by all of the urgent stuff that's happening every day? Uh, and that just helps me stay focused so I don't forget to address issues that we've identified or I've identified as being strategic to the company um, when I'm in the midst of uh, answering questions on uh, from the 401k auditor or uh, trying to uh, respond to uh, a request for covenant calculations from the bank or whatever the urgent things that have to happen every day and push out of the way the important things that need to happen for the company to grow. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, actually, there's two books I'd recommend. The first one is Analysis for Financial Management by Rocky Higgins. Uh, Rocky Higgins is a professor at the UW, uh, University of Washington. Uh, he is someone that has a pretty dry sense of humor. 
And he's written this little tiny book called Analysis for Financial Management that in, uh, I guess it's maybe 120 pages, uh, really uh, isolates the key parts of how to manage an organization from a finance point of view. And then on the less uh, finance-focused or accounting-focused area, um, there's a great book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, and it is a, a book about uh, your personal life and how you order your life uh, and determine what is right and wrong in the world. And I think that that is perhaps the most critical thing that's needed in the finance world at this point. We've had so many uh, scandals that have occurred on the finance side because people just made little uh, concessions, did things that were just a little outside the lines. And um, in the finance area, uh, we are the custodians of the king's jewels, uh, and we need to know what is right and wrong. We need to know that without having to know what the situation is. We need to know that without having to base it on um, what might happen. Uh, we need to know what's black and white. And there certainly is a whole universe of gray out there that we have to deal with. But there are some things that are black and white, and I think it's critical that we know what those are. And I think it's critical we take the time to make sure that when the question is asked, we don't have to hesitate. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Well, my number one priority uh, is to continue to develop my team. I have several members of my team that I have really high expectations of, However, in order for them to meet those expectations, we're going to have to facilitate some training for them, and they're going to have to make some um, some personal growth uh, in how they deal with other individuals and how they prioritize their own workflow. So developing my team is probably my number one priority. Uh, beyond that, there are always uh, improvements that can be made in processes, uh, we look to see if we can improve our relationships with all of the different organizations we work with, whether it's uh, those people that provide us with uh, risk management or bankers or auditors. Um, there's certainly lots of things we can work on there. But my number one priority is continuing to develop my team. 
Dell Clark, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Well, thanks for having me. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. <laughs>